following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Okay, so I would like to ask for somebody to name a Broadway play out loud. Hamilton. Hamilton. Good. Okay, how many people have been very lucky enough to see Hamilton? Nobody in the room. How many are going to see it this year? <laughs> okay, I thought maybe. How many of you know um, all the songs already by heart, right? I know that one that goes, I'm Jessica. I don't really know what that one is, but um, <laughs> we, uh, we listened to Hamilton, this, the original cast recording on the way to Maine this summer, and we got about halfway through it. Um, it's a joke because it's a 500-mile trip and it's, it's very long. <laughs> anyway, that didn't work. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just move on. Now, let me ask you this. Those of you who have um, heard the, the uh, original cast recording and you know exactly how everything plays out, is it true? Yes or no, is it true? It's an interesting question, right? I see some of you going, right? The, is it, yes, it's true that it's a musical. Yes, we've covered that much. Um, how do you evaluate that question about Hamilton? You could start with, is it historically accurate? Is it historically accurate? Yes? Alexander Hamilton was uh, the grandparents of Puerto Rican... Uh, the, the, founding, the founding fathers broke into incredible hip-hop routines... <laughs> okay, did, okay, did Aaron Burr shoot Alexander Hamilton? Spoiler, come on, I haven't seen it yet. Let me ask you a related question, which won't seem related at all. Would it make any difference for you if you knew that the book of Job was a play? Hmm? The, uh, the intro to the book of Job, the prologue, uh, is one of today's lectionary readings. That's why the book of Job is on my mind. If you've been reading the lectionary along with us, you, you already know this, because we're now back on schedule, thankfully. Um, and I won't go into that too much, uh, except to, to, to tell those of you who don't know what the book of Job is, that it's, it's a difficult book to read. The summary is that in this initial section, the, the, the beginning of it, the, um, the Satan uh, challenges God about how faithful God's servant Job is. And basically says, you know, he's only faithful to you because everything is going well for him. If you let me have a crack at him, he won't be faithful anymore. And God says, have at it. And, and then Job's life gets completely wrecked. So, <laughs> that's a difficult book to read already. And then the prologue that sets the whole thing up is even more difficult because I'm not sure I'm really, like that much a fan of a God who says, sure, go ahead, wreck the life of this great servant of mine. Now, this is not something that we can know and, or will ever know with perfect certainty, but many scholars have made a fairly compelling case that the book of Job is not only the oldest book of the Bible, which could tell us some things, but also might just be, probably is, a dramatic work. And so let me ask that question again. 
Was it, does it make it any, your interpretation of the book of Job, your, able, your ability to kind of accept its message, is it any easier to read if you think of it as a play? Given the fact that we tend to evaluate the historicity differently in a play than, say, a, well, a history book, right? The, the, the um, what do they call it, the, the artistic uh, changes that Lin-Manuel Miranda made to the story of Alexander Hamilton, we're okay with them, even though they're not true in that sense. The story itself is true, kind of capital T. Does that make sense? And so maybe the book of Job is easier to read if you think of it as a play. At the very least, it's probably a little more interesting to read if you think of it that way. But the bigger point is this. If you find a passage of the Bible or a whole book of the Bible particularly difficult, it might be worth your time to dig a little bit deeper and ask, is there something else going on here that I don't see yet? And if you do a little bit more work, sometimes what happens is you think, oh, I think of that differently now. That's a little bit, that makes a little more sense. It doesn't disturb me quite as much. Now, that's not to say that this deeper type of study will always get you that result, because what happens sometimes is you get this deeper understanding of a biblical text, and um, it's actually harder to accept. (laughs) Because I believe that that sometimes we have to accept the correction that comes through the study of God's words through the scriptures to us. And that's not easy to do all the time. So, there is something more there on occasion. I want you to keep that in mind. And today, we are concluding a five-week series uh, called Beloved Community. The idea that we are called to experience and to participate in and to extend to others God's shalom, God's peace, God's original design for the flourishing of the whole world. In short, that we are to be doing what our series subtitle suggests, which is loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're five weeks in. I haven't been totally consistent with this, but when I do this with my hands, we all say loving our neighbors as ourselves. If you remember nothing else, you're going to remember my goofy face up here saying loving our neighbors as ourselves. The, The beloved community phrase was popularized in the 60s by Dr. King, but it is not just a slogan of a social movement. It's consistent, I believe, with the overarching narrative of God's work in the whole world as revealed in Holy Scripture and as worked out and lived out by God's people throughout the ages, albeit with some missteps, some false starts, some mistakes. Now, beloved community, that's our theme for the whole year. So this whole academic year, you're going to be uh, hearing that phrase, beloved community, come out. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking a lot about loving our neighbors as ourselves. We're going to be talking about nonviolence. We're going to be talking about belonging. We're going to be talking about the scourge of poverty and the evils of systemic racism. And we're going to be talking about working for equality. And all of that, we hope, will be expressed and lived out throughout the, you know, in the whole life of the church together, all of our ministry 
as a, a congregation, will be infused with this idea of beloved community, even when the sermons stop being about it every week and the graphic has changed and we're talking about other things. What's really been fun for me is that even though we're using the lectionary, which assigns the Bible readings for each week and has been settled for years and years, um, the themes have still been kind of bubbled to the top throughout this series on Beloved Community. All the stuff that I just said about Beloved Community, we're finding it in the scriptural texts that the lectionary has given us over the past several weeks. But here's a challenge. What happens when you hear somebody preaching from the Bible a message that does not seem to advance God's peace in the world? Has that ever happened? Surely you've never heard a sermon surely not from me, that you didn't seem to think was very consistent with the idea of beloved community, of loving our neighbors as ourselves. You know, um, we have a very incredibly disturbing example of this in uh, the history of our nation. If you go back in the history books and read the sermons that were preached by southern preachers, as, as our country was tr- trying to advance the cause of abolition of slavery. Southern preachers in particular, the northern ones were not much better, to be perfectly honest with you, but the southern preachers in particular were adamant that any movement of abolition of slavery was in contradiction to the clear teachings of Scripture. Have you ever heard that phrase used before? It's in contradiction to the clear teachings of Scripture. And anybody who wanted to abolish slavery, these pastors would say, and did say, is disobeying the holy word of God. This was not an uncommon thing. This was everybody. So it does happen. What happens when, when maybe it's not a sermon, maybe you're just reading the Bible, reading it yourself, and, and you're suddenly taken aback at And what it says, you're wondering whether the Bible itself actually teaches about equality and justice. As it turns out, one of our other lectionary readings for today might be, for some of you, one of those texts where you read it and go, whoa. And maybe that's because we've kind of infused it with some baggage. Maybe it's because there's a hard word for us to hear in Scripture and we don't want to hear it. That's the kind of decision you have to make when you're studying the Bible. What I want to do is look at this text with you for a few minutes this morning. It's from Genesis chapter 2. It's the second account of creation. And uh, if you want to find it in your Red Bibles, it's easy to find. It's page 2. And I'm going to read Genesis 2, 18 through 24, which is what the lectionary gives us for the Hebrew Bible reading today. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper as his partner. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to all the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man there was not found a helper as his partner. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. 
Then he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. Therefore a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. So, the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper. And then, after some fits and starts, it turns out that the helper is a woman. You could read this verse and take it to mean that women uh, literally only exist to serve men. And in fact, many people have taken this verse to mean that and have applied this verse in that way. And on the face of it, just, a, just read the plain words, preacher. Just read what it says and do it. Level. You read Genesis 2.18. It's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him a helper. And then the helper ends up being woman. That's maybe a fairly straightforward and simple interpretation of that text, isn't it? And if this is one of those places in Scripture where there is a, a clear standard being set, then God's people ought to be willing to meet that standard, whether they want to or not. That's part of being obedient to the Scriptures and to, to God's revealed will, right? But what if it's one of those other situations where a challenging text has a deeper meaning, one that makes it, might even make it a source of joy rather than a source of pain, a source of liberation rather than a source of control. Well, in fact, I want to suggest that that's exactly what this verse of the Bible is. And to explain why, I want to give you a little insider secret for Bible study. This is something that anybody could do. It's something that I do all the time. And it's something that helps me come to a deeper understanding of the vocabulary of the Bible. Because the vocabulary of the Bible is important. And in this case, we need to know what that word helper means. Right? Uh, it's not originally in English. We know that, right? The Bible didn't pop out of the sky in uh, 1776, having been carried in by a bald eagle. Right? <laughs> The Bible has been with us much longer, uh, and this part of the Bible was written in Hebrew. But I don't know, do you, do you read or speak Hebrew? I went to seminary, and I don't either. <laughs> I'm going to give you a tool that will allow you to go a little bit deeper with Hebrew. This word, by the way, is ezer, E-Z-E-R, as we anglicize it. And so what, I, what I'm going to do is I made a little... Um, the, the new version of uh, the Mac OS has a, a screen capture tool, and I wanted to try it. And so I made a little screen capture video of what I do to study this word. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to show it to you. It takes about a minute. I'm going to try to narrate it, although I realize that I went too fast to narrate it very well. So we'll do what we can. Uh, so go ahead, Avila, and show us this video. First thing we're going to do is go away from our homepage, artisanchurch.com, to blueletterbible.org. And then we'll type in the passage here, Genesis 2.18, 
And I would prefer to read it in the NIV. It's a little bit easier, so I'm going to click NIV and then search. And it's going to pop up here, and you see it right at the top there. The Lord God said it's not good. Over there on the left is tools. Click that, and then it breaks out that whole verse into its words and the Hebrew counterpoints. Now, that number right there is a, not important to know what that means, but if you click it, you'll get the, the page for that Hebrew word. And you'll get every usage of the page of that, of that word. And so here's some of the usages of that word. The first one is the one that we just had. And the second one is like it. And then we get, um, my father's God was my helper, Azer. And then, oh, be his help against his foes, speaking to God, Azer. Uh, there's no one like the God of Jerushan who rides across the heavens to help you. He is your shield and helper. May he send you help from the sanctuary and grant you support from Zion. We wait in the Lord, in hope for the Lord. He is our help. You are my help and my deliverer, Lord. These words, every single one of them, Azer, the Hebrew word that's used of the helper that God made for the man. Does that change the way you read it at all? If the woman is to be the helper of the man, based on the extended usage, and I could tell you you can go all through and find over and over again this type of usage, uh, of that Hebrew word, in reference to God and God's relationship to the Israelites, it sure seems to me like the helper that God made for the man was a lot more like a God than like Mary maids. <laughs> That's right, a powerful helper. <laughs> I see an A's there right back there. <laughs> So, maybe that makes you a little happier about this verse. Makes me a little happier about this verse. But perhaps this kind of thing can leave you a little bit, like actually even feeling a little bit more despair because you're like, well, if I have to do that kind of work with every word in the Bible, it's going to be a long time. It's going to take a long time to understand the whole Bible. Well, first of all, yes. It is going to take you a long time to understand the whole Bible. You know, my, um, my grandmother, who died a couple of years ago at 92, was still, uh, up until the end when she couldn't do it anymore, was still reading the Bible every day of her life. Put me, her pastor grandson, to shame in her efforts to study and understand the Bible. And she still didn't have it all figured out. She had some stuff she was just wrong about. <laughs> I know, because I'm smarter and I went to seminary, right? <laughs> but do you see what I mean? Yes, it's going to be work. And so if you're not ready to sign up for that, that's okay. I, I certainly don't want you to think that you can only study the Bible if you're willing to do this kind of graduate level study of it, okay? I believe God meets us where we are in the scriptures, okay? And you can read it in English and never go to blueletterbible.org, never even remember that I mentioned it, and you're going to be okay. God is going to speak to you through the scriptures, all right? So don't despair about that part of it. But it does sort of raise the question, how are we to know? How are we to know? If all kinds of people who went to seminary in the, in the uh, 19th century still ended up thinking that the Bible taught that the enslavement of African people was the, was the will of God, then what hope do we ever have of getting it right? I have a two-part answer. The first part is none. 
And we maybe should be okay with that. Because we are going to get it wrong sometimes. And there's such a fear about getting it wrong that leaves us unwilling to even try sometimes. But the second one is an even better answer. And the answer is Jesus. (laughs) You know that the answer is always Jesus, right? (laughs) Let me give you one more lectionary text from today. This is Hebrews... (laughs) Hebrews chapter 1, this is from the New Testament, this is a, a, one of the letters of the early church, if you want to read this. I quote this all the time, but it just so happens that the lectionary gave it to us today, so I'm going to quote it again. Hebrews chapter 1, imagine trying to read the old uh, books of the Bible and understand God's will with all the confusion and everything, uh, every question you might have, and, and you read this, long ago. God spoke to our ancestors in many and various ways by the prophets, meaning the writers of the Bible. But in these last days he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also created the worlds. He, meaning Jesus, is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. The answer is Jesus. Anything you read in any book, including this one, that doesn't seem consistent with the way of Jesus, you are allowed to question it. And in the case of sacred scripture, God is, uh, Jesus is the ultimate word of God, the great logic of God, the logos, the, the Greek language would say. Jesus supersedes any other revelation that came before him. And so, if you see anything in the church, in the history, in the application of the Bible, that seems inconsistent with the way of Jesus, you are allowed to question it. You're actually supposed to question it. Jesus is the final answer. And as far as it goes with... Um, some of the things we've talked about today, marginalized people being marginalized even further by application of the sacred scriptures, Jesus sides with the marginalized people. Jesus ignored and rejected the conventions of the day that a man could not meet alone with a woman and that foreigners were subhuman and he sat and talked with a Samaritan woman at that well And he communicated God's love to her directly with no intermediary, with no Jewish or Roman citizen around, with no man to teach it except himself, the word of God. Jesus does not stand up in front of a crowd of people and mock the woman who's been scorned by the lawyers, heaping more shame on her. Jesus disbanded the leering mob, to quote Jen Hatmaker, to their shame. Never to hers. Jesus held men accountable when they came to him wanting to divorce their wives without cause. Probably, honestly, in a patriarchal society to get them off the books. Right? To stop having to pay for their food. Saying that Moses may have allowed that because of the hardness of your hearts. But that God's original design was that a marriage should be a place where both parties cling to each other and build a new family together. 
By the way, Jesus used today's reading from Genesis 2 in response to that question. Jesus refused to accept the prevailing notion that lepers should be avoided and definitely never touched, and he drew them in close, and he touched them, and he healed them. Jesus went right up to that tax man, hanging out in the top of a tree, ashamed of his deep sin of stealing from his brethren on behalf of the evil empire of Rome, and he said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree, I am going to your house for dinner today. And that act of love and embrace of the sinner led that sinner to repent and repay what he had stolen four times over. And when it came to meeting a person with a disability, Jesus dismissed that question, which unfortunately is still asked so often today, exactly what kind of sin was committed that led to this poor man being born blind. And he told people that this was not the result of anybody's sin, but that God was going to be glorified in that man today anyway. So do you see now why beloved community is the phrase that we use to envision the world functioning as God intended it to function? Can you imagine with me a world where we are truly welcoming and embracing of all people, where everyone is welcomed, everyone is embraced with the same love that God poured out in his son Jesus Christ? A world where those who are dehumanized and mocked and mistrusted and hated are instead accepted and loved into new being, joined together in community with others where they can truly flourish. Can you see how spending a little bit of effort with one simple word in the scriptures can completely invert our prevailing notions and implicit biases and cause us to come to honor those whom society tells us not only could be, but probably should be dominated and subjugated. And will you come now to the table of the Lord, that place where Jesus offers his body and his blood to his friends and his enemies alike, To that table where all are welcome no matter what the world says about you. To that great feast of God, that banquet of grace. Where we taste forgiveness and drink of mercy. And will you then go from this place with that truth in your belly? Will you go to build the beloved community that he's invited you into? so that others might be invited into it as well. Let's do it together. And pray with me. Lord, you are the defender of the weak. In your submission to death, you conquered it. In your forgiveness of all, even those who caused your death, you model for us the true way of God. Help us to keep you, Jesus, front and center, first and foremost in all things, so that even when we fail, we have an anchor to return to that draws us into the truth 
of God, who is love. We lift you up and pray these things in your name. Amen. As the band comes up and leads us in a couple of other songs, our table is open for all who are seeking to follow Jesus in this place. We will have a member of the prayer team who would be happy to pray with you this morning if you'd like. Let's continue to worship God. However the Spirit might be leading you, respond in truth and grace. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.